Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Philippe Petipot, CEO and co-founder of NewsBridge, a cloud media hub platform that's raised 12.5 million euros in funding. Philippe, thanks for chatting with me today. Nice to meet you, Brad. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, no problem. How do we do there on the pronunciation of your last name? I, I feel like I butchered it, so I'll let you correct the record here. Yeah, it's Petipot, but actually, it's quite tough to, to say by non-French uh, speaker in this tongue. <laughs> Nice, nice. Well, super, super excited to chat with you here. So let's dive in. Can you just start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background? So currently, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Newsbridge. So it's, um, it's a company I started a few years ago. Actually, uh, if we go back in my previous career on, on even at school, and I wanted to be a rocket scientist and rocket engineer. That's why, <laughs> that's why I started an engineering school. So I have a, a degree in rocket science, but actually... I was not the perfect student, so the first thing I did going to my studies was not really to study rocket science, because I think it was uh, it was fun, but actually not as as I imagined. So the first thing I did is, is creating my uh, my student TV station during the school time, and uh, I was spending way more time in this student TV station. We were created rather than uh, in the blowers, you know, to test to test the wind on the rockets and the. Uh, on well, that's actually the first thing I did, um, and that was actually I didn't know that by the time, but that will probably drive everything that we do after that. So, um, of course, when I needed to choose an internship, I won't go into NASA, even if it was one of my dreams, but uh, I go into TV networks to be a broadcast engineer. And basically, what a broadcast engineer is doing is making sure that signal processing on the all the editors and the journalists are all the infrastructure they need to broadcast their content, to produce their content all around the world. So I had the chance to work on the, all the infrastructure for the Soccer World Cup, for uh, broadcasting news all around the world. So it was quite exciting and uh, it was very technical. It was uh, 10, 15 years ago around several networks. And um, what was quite complex is that when you're kind in this kind of organization, your role is not really to develop software. It's not to address major pain points that the industry has. So you're kind of blocked in, uh, okay, you just need to solve this need of this journalist or this dozen of journalists, and then it's it's done. But actually, about the time, it, it was quite complex because we had lot, lots of content. It was too complex for humans to understand what was in the video and everything. And there was some strong pain point, and it was very frustrating to not being able to explore some... Um, was a way of working on other organizations. So I quit the company and I team up with my train brother that is from the AI and the big data industry. And uh, well, I said, uh, here's the problem that we have in the media industry. There's too many video, too much video, and people are struggling with that. And while it's complex, editing is very long and we do something together. And yeah, it started building a, a network of people that could help us. And then that's how we get to to found this company called Newsbridge, it was uh, it was six years ago. Wow, sounds like a, a super fun journey and, and wild journey. A couple of questions that we like to ask 
really just to better understand what makes you tick as a founder and as an entrepreneur. First one, what founder do you admire the most and what do you admire about them? So um, it's difficult to choose just one, but I think one currently that I'm thinking a lot about where here this question is the founder called Maud Cayo. So she's the CEO and co-founder of a company called Gringot. Gringot is um, the green bank. Actually, that's not what they're saying on the sound, but you can think about that. And um, they basically are thinking and they believe that uh, we can save most issues of climate change with finance. And uh, they created this kind of new bank experience, new banking experience. Uh, it's a B2C company. So it's very promising. It's very, still very early, but very promising. And uh, this, she succeeded to do that without any funding. It was only called founding. And I mean, creating a fintech without money for VCs is, is quite crazy. And what's really um, quite surprising about her is that she did that a few years ago. She was very young. Actually, she was nominated for Forbes uh, under 30. And uh, she had really no knowledge in finance, in banking. So she started to reinvent how banking can work in a climate change crisis without having experience in that. And she, she had a success in that. And I think what well, she said that was quite complex because of regulations. And a lot of big banks didn't really like the approach of having another bank that is saying, well, all the money you are putting in your account will never be used to finance coal industry or oil industry. And uh, it's quite a big differentiator. And uh, they said that it was very difficult at the beginning. And um, what's crazy is that she, success, she succeeded with that. And I think what I've learned from her experience there and still learning from what she's doing is the biggest skills she have is she has two skills. She, her eloquence is totally crazy. She's, the way she's telling stories is very good. And uh, also she's able to bring faith into building a better future. So to me, the learning is that uh, entrepreneur is all about building the story, a story you're believing in. And then from this story, you can tell the best as possible you will be able to onboard the best talent that will make this story a reality. And uh, on looking to the past is quite irrelevant, meaning that um, I think an entrepreneur should always focus on what's going to happen next on the future, on the vision. I love that. And it's refreshing to hear about a founder who's not Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos. That's what we hear 80% of the time. And you know, it gets a little bit boring and repetitive. So I love hearing about new entrepreneurs and, and different founders. Yeah, everyone knows a story about Elon Musk. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Now, what about books? Are there any specific books that have had a major impact on you? And these don't have to be business books. These could be books that just really influenced how you view the world and how you think about the world personally. We pick up one that is not totally linked to uh, business a bit, of course, but um, it was written by um, a guy called David Marquette. I think he was a former captain in the U.S. Navy. The book is called Turn the Ship Around. And it was uh, recommended during um, the onboarding of one key people within our company. And uh, he used to be um, a big manager in a big company. And he said, well, I read this book and I think that there's a way that we can use what's written in the book to adapt that to our modern organization. And basically, I won't summarize the whole book, but... So it's a story of the captain of a submarine that is discovering that when you're saying to the people in the submarine, we need to go to Hawaii and letting them totally autonomous to take the good decision, 
the ship will go totally faster. And it's in opposition with traditional way of working where the captain is doing, okay, let's dive at uh, this depth and uh, let's go to this speed and etc. And uh, what the learning of this book is that if you empower the manager, the, all the people with really the vision on where you need to go, you will kind of unblock super power of your key people, of the people in the company. And there's a, a good example in the book, but what I learned in that is um, when people know what they are doing things, they are doing that better and it can even surprise you and go above everything you're thinking about and saying, well, I think this milestone was way much more harder to reach that, than that. And uh, saying, yeah, but we know how to do that. We know that we need to go to Hawaii so we can take some shortcut. If you're saying take, take this road, then you leave not any opportunity to the team to take shortcuts. So I think this is, um, this is one about, the book is also interesting about learning things on, on nuclear submarine and stuff like that. But for us, it became like a manifesto of, uh, of our organization. Nice. I love that. I always love learning about business from non-business books. And I feel like a lot of the, the best lessons I've learned about business have come from books that weren't necessarily about business. So always fun yeah. to hear about those. Now let's switch gears and let's dive a bit deeper into the company. So let's just imagine that I'm a publisher in your target market. What's the pitch for me? You know, what are you promising that the product can do and how does it work? How does it solve my problems? Yeah. So, um, we mainly work in, uh, with people that have trouble with video and, um, the pain point is, is quite simple is having a draft of a blog article with ChatGPT, like what, one, two minutes. I won't say it's a perfect article, but maybe a draft. But to have a draft of a video story, it's like uh, hours to do that. And uh, it's hours to build a story for social media. It's hours to build this podcast. It's also hours you will spend. And when you're working in some even more complex and longer format, like, I don't know, a documentary for Netflix, it's not hours, it's months. And uh, well, your next holiday movie is, well, maybe no one will do his next holiday movies because the rush is still on the GoPro and uh, you don't have time to build it because it's too long. And the problem is that building video is long. It's very long. It's a three-step process and you need lots of different skills all along the process. You need to sort the content. Okay, which rush is, which part of video will be the best to tell my story? Then you need to tell the story, the editing part. It's long. You need to choose the music that will go, maybe some voiceover, and then you need to publishing. This is the third step. And the third step is key because you want to make sure that your audience will find this video. So it's all about SEO. And then you need to describe what's inside the video very accurately. On YouTube, it's uh, 250 characters. If you are going under, the algorithm of recognition won't work so much. So you need skills all along the process. And that's why it's very expensive and it's very, very long. So what we've developed is all the tools we're developing are helping in one of these three steps. And the first one about sourcing used to be 50% of the time of building a video. And this first step, so that's why we've developed uh, our last algorithm called MXT1 that is totally understanding what's inside the video. So we're calling that video understanding. So we've uh, made a lot of AI tools to generate a natural language description so that you don't need to watch the video entirely to know what's inside the video. And with this plug to a search engine, that means that any editors can find relevant pieces of brushes in seconds to then build the edit and publish it. And that makes 
media organization or any people that are working with video way more productive and way more faster so that they can build more video and also being able to generate more revenue with a better indexing, a better SEO on their content. So basically, that's giving superpowers on skills to people that have not the skills totally acquired. And if you look at your customer base, is it primarily local and focused in France right now? Or is it all of Europe? Is it expanded to the US? What does that look like? So today we have teams in Europe and the US. We've, we've opened our US office uh, just at the beginning of the year. And we are, most of our customers today, we are targeting three kind of verticals. First one is sports, uh, media, and brand content. Sports and media were historically the first one because uh, they were they used to be more mature into producing content and they have a lot of video editors, but now brand content is totally booming and with influencers, it's even going faster. There are half a million brands in the world, so it's big. And we are working with sports leagues, sports federations, sports clubs, uh, TV stations, post-production houses, uh, pure players. We have customers all around Europe, in, you know, obviously in France, the company was running in France, in Spain, in the UK in Germany, also in the Middle East, and we're not far from having the first in the U.S. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host, and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now, back to today's episode. Now, I was introducing you as a cloud media hub platform, and I want to ask you about market categories. So is cloud media hub the market category? Is the category digital asset management, which I think I saw on LinkedIn? How are you thinking about your market category today? So it's a new category, actually. Mom and dam, so digital asset management or media asset management are are tools that are here just to centralize content and to make sure that it's like a super Dropbox. Our job is to make content findable and to make people working faster with their video editing. So that's not exactly a category that used to exist for two or three years. So we are inventing a new one. Sometimes you need to use words from the old world to be sure that people can understand what you're doing. So that's why we are using this kind of tag for SEO because we have different use cases. But the main idea is to be able to provide video understanding algorithm, whether if it's uh, just metadata or on search to be able to integrate within a current MAM system or a current DAM system. So I, I would say it's a new category that can integrate within the current ecosystem of uh, video editing. And just to confirm, what's the actual phrase? Or do you have a phrase for that new category? For this new category? Yes, it's uh, making content discoverable. This is one of, uh, of the things we love to explain, but it will, uh, it will change very soon. Got it, got it. Now, what about customer growth? Um, our audience loves to hear numbers and metrics. Are there any numbers that you can share that just demonstrate the growth that you're seeing today? Yes. So um, we uh, just in terms maybe of the size of the market is huge. In um, video editing, just the amount of money that is spent into um, producing video is more than $1,000 billion. So it's a huge market. On our side, we started to target media and sport vertical that are maybe just 30% of this market, brand are around 30 to 40%. And so today, where we hit um, the million dollar in recurring revenue early last year, 
and uh, our pace is to double this turnover each um, each each year. We're around that, and with the U.S. market expansion, is we we go definitely faster than that. So this is a, the mindset we are scaling very fast right now, and the amount of video is so huge that it's like a greenfield actually. And there's a lot of noise in the market today, and there's just a lot of technology solutions out there. What are you doing to rise above the noise, and and what have you gotten right to you know connect with customers and to acquire customers in the way that you have? So our DNA is deep tech. We have two deep tech VCs, so that makes that half of the company we are fifty right now is dedicated to research and development. So we file a lot of patents, and uh, our goal is to have the best product to make sure that we can deliver the best indexing quality, the best experience. And um, we believe that we are providing this best experience for, for the video editing world. The thing is, we also need to invert our own terminology. And that's a way for us to be the first to explain to customer and to like uh, plant a seed into their brain to say, okay, this is what we're doing. And for example, one example is multimodal AI. So multimodal AI started to be very popular at the beginning of the year where GPT-4 started to introduce it was multimodal. Actually, we've been evangelizing multimodal since like uh, three or four years. <laughs> and uh, it was quite painful to explain what multimodal is, where no one was knowing that. And uh, that's, that's the strategy. And the last one, and maybe the most important one, is price. I strongly believe that innovation is always driven by price. And uh, we need to make sure we're, we're developing new technology that it can meet uh, business reality. And uh, Price of AI used to be very expensive with standard traditional technology. And uh, what we've developed is an AI that is able to be 10 times cheaper than any other one, providing better quality and better results. And uh, about innovation on price, to me, that's really key. If you have the best product, but it's too expensive, that no one will buy it. It needs to meet some criteria. And I have a funny example about that. Let's go back at the beginning of uh, the 20th century. The first cars at the beginning of the century, the cost was around $850. So it was dollars from the, the beginning of the century. So it was not the same dollars as today. A carriage with horses was 350 So at the beginning of the 20th century, there was no car. Carriage everywhere. But in, 20, in 1920, Ford invented the Ford T. And the Ford T was $250. And we can see that the sales of the car... And, <laughs> After 20, uh, 1920 was totally crazy. And that's why carriage with horses started to disappear because it was way cheaper to buy your car rather than having horses. Amazing. I love that analogy. Now, last couple of questions here for you. If we look at your challenges so far that you've experienced from a go-to-market perspective, what would you say has been the greatest go-to-market challenge that you experienced and overcame and how'd you overcome it? Yeah, you know, there was um, one that was very tough. Uh, it was uh, the very beginning of the company, and uh, we were developing our first AI algorithm. And uh, uh, you know, when you are developing, and you have sometimes opportunity to to get into a corporate accelerator, and it was uh, one with uh, with a big, let's say, let's say public media company, and one of the biggest in Europe. And uh, it was a public one. And uh, we started to be accelerated in order to test our AI algorithm with journalists. And uh, the welcome we have, we had by that time were not so good actually, and we represented as uh, AI engineers that are developing tools that will replace people. 
<laughs> and it was not a good introduction. And uh, we are speaking with maybe uh, 20, 25 documentalists. And, uh, and when we started to add them, okay, so we want to learn more about your job. <laughs> and trust me, <laughs> what they said is, uh, are you crazy? You are going to replace my job. I will never share anything with you. And, <laughs> and I remember uh, Fred, uh, the other co-founder, was taking apart in the small rooms with uh, lots of people around him. And uh, he was totally surrounded and uh, <laughs> said, you are going to reply us by robots and, you know, all the cliche like that. And, uh, and it was very tough. And we had to start over everything with them and explaining, oh, look, the technology, while well, it was five or six years ago. So uh, AI was really at the beginning. And see, AI is, is not so good. It's not as good as you think. And actually, do you like logging videos? Is that something you like to do in your life? No, I don't like to, be, to do that. And some, sometimes I need to come at the office on Sunday to transcript everything manually and stuff like that and say, yeah, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do the heavy lifting for you. You are going to see how AI is working and you're going to validate and train the AI. And um, when they started to understand what is going, uh, the, their job will be in the future, they said, on, we had one young journalist that, that, that come back at the end of the accelerator and said, so sorry to be in this mindset at, at the beginning, because now, thanks to you, I know what my job will be in the future. And I know that my job will be definitely better. So it was a challenge about proving and also a challenge about perception. And uh, now that we are doing things totally differently, and we, our first people, our first personnel, we are talking with our users, because they need to understand what the tool will be, will be doing for them. And actually, users are key, because Top management will ask to the users, okay, does the tool will help having you better productivity? And if they say no, top management will never buy the tool. So the first people that need to be convinced are users. And that's one of the learning I think we had uh, since this experience. And final question for you. Let's zoom out three to five years from today into the future. What's the vision for the company? What are you hoping to build? We have an ambition that is uh, quite limitless. What we want to achieve is to be sure that everyone can uh, tell a story using video. And uh, that's, that's our mission. The path is along to that. And uh, the number of models uh, we need to train and uh, the amount of money we need to invest into uh, NVIDIA infrastructure to analyze this huge amount of data set we have is huge. We need also a lot of people, though. What I'm sure is that the size of the team will more than double and, and well, more than that in the next years to achieve that and, and being able to, to bring some kind of automatic video storytelling on, on something quite ambitious like that within the maybe 2025, 2030, 2026. I don't know. But this is the path we are going right now. And um, I believe that maybe... Um, this famous, I know, this famous holiday movie you wanted to do, uh, <laughs> will be able to do with maybe a prompting experience or something like that. And we believe in this vision, and we are now at the early beginning. The three steps are being automatized. The first step is nearly done. Uh, let's now deep dive on the two next. Amazing. I love it. Well, we are up on time, so we're going to have to wrap here. Before we do, if people want to follow along with your journey as you continue to build and execute on this vision, where should they go? Yeah, newsbridge.io this is our website on landing page, and we are sharing a lot of, uh, about what we're doing on, on a day-to-day basis and, and also a lot about our culture. We have an open prototype, open demo with our MXT1 latest version that is available online. So everyone can log in and um, see uh, 
how impressive the, the generic description are being done on video. So it's totally free and yeah, you just need to log in and, and then you'll accept the, the, the demo part. So it's, uh, it's very quick and it can give an idea of uh, what's possible with the uh, generative AI. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to join the podcast and talk about everything that you're building and share some of those lessons that you've learned along the way. I've really enjoyed this conversation and I know the audience is going to as well. So thank you so much for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Brett. All right, keep in touch. This episode of Category Visionaries is brought to you by Frontlines Media, Silicon Valley's leading podcast production studio. If you're a B2B founder looking for help launching and growing your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. And for the latest episode, search for Category Visionaries on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode. 